Um, I'd like to uh, speak to you something that the Lord's put in my heart about one of the names of God. And my heart is to encourage you. I hope you'll go away encouraged this morning. Uh, one of the names of God in Scripture is the God of hope. The God of hope. Um, I'll just read where that's found. It's in Romans 15, verse 13, and it says this. Paul writes, towards the end of the book of Romans, verse, chapter 15, verse 13. He says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound or overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's God's heart not to just be remote up in the heavens as Mark prayed this morning. It's God's heart to have a relationship with you and to be inside you, communing with you so that you can know him in you in your life, and to have hope overflowing from your life. <laughs> now most people have barely enough hope to get through the week. But I want to tell you, it's a totally different word, hope, than how the world uses hope. I mean, the world would say, oh, I hope it's sunny tomorrow. You know, it's a kind of uncertain, might not happen, dot com. They might say, I hope I get a pay rise but it's not certain. I hope I win the lottery. <clears throat> I hope you don't play that, by the way. But that isn't the Bible meaning of the word hope. I'll give you two examples, right? Imagine you are in a dinghy on the middle of the Pacific Ocean, sea everywhere, and you, you, you know, your ship has sunk and you're in a dinghy, and you're on the ocean, and you can't see land anywhere, and you sit there and you say, I really hope I find some land. But that is completely uncertain and may not happen. Whereas the hope of the Bible, the Greek, to show off, I did study one Greek word, is the word elpo. And elpo means a pleasurable, absolute confidence and expectation in what will happen. So here's the Bible definition of hope. You're in the dinghy on the Pacific Ocean, you look up and you see land at 500 metres and hope rises in your heart and you say, I'm going to live. I can see land. I really, hope has risen in my heart. It's certain, it's salvation, it's life. It's not, oh, I hope it happens. And when God talks about the God of hope, he's a God of certainty. Now, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that hope does not disappoint. He does not disappoint. Things that you want in life may disappoint you. you. Things may not always work out exactly as you would want. But God, in the end, I promise you, will not disappoint you if you trust him. Hope does not disappoint. Romans 5 verse 5. The other thing about hope, it says in Hebrews 6 verse 19, it says we have an anchor that is sure and steadfast. A hope, it actually says, I'll read that to you, because I can't quote it very well by memory. It says, it talks about having fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. The hope, by the way, is Jesus. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, 
and which enters the presence of God behind the veil. I just want to encourage you this morning. You have got a God of hope, but it isn't a wishy-washy hope. You know, it's a solid thing. It reminds me of that old song, horrible pop song. Well, it's all right, actually. (laughs) It's solid, solid as a rock. Do you know that song? It's solid. It's talking about love, I think. But you know, there are hymns that have been written, Christian hymns, which say things like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Though every prop on earth give way, he alone is my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I want to really encourage you that God is a solid rock for you. And I believe he wants to encourage and build hope in our hearts today in three areas. The first area is hope for those who really want to change. For those who really want to change, there is real solid hope. You don't have to be the person you were brought up. You don't have to be the person you were born. You don't have to be the person with things that dog you, like they may have done until now if you really want to change. If you don't want to change, then God will not steamroller you into the kingdom of God. He's a gentleman. He won't push you. God does not... I don't push around my wife. At least I hope I don't. <coughs> you know, we, God treats us like a husband and a wife. He does not push you beyond your will. He will respect your choices. But he's got real hope for those who really want to change. That's the first area. The second area where there's real hope is for those who are under trial. If you're under trial, I don't know if you've been under trial or you're under a difficulty, a restriction, there is real hope for those under trial. And the third area is there's real hope for those who seek his face. I want to talk about seeking the face of God today as well. And the hope there is that he will answer, he will be found. As Terry read, seek and you shall find. So, let's just look at these things. Hope for those who change. I want to tell you a quick funny story before I read a Bible story. We had, on Thursday last week, um, a mum come with her children to our house, and the little daughter went out in the garden and came back with lots and lots of dirt in her mouth. She had been eating dirt from a large flower pot, and she had dirt, and I was thinking, oh, poor little lass. But she seemed to quite enjoy it. Didn't see a problem with it, eating dirt. And then the mother, who was not, wasn't our child, the mother who's visiting, said words to this effect. I mean, I'm not quoting her exactly, but words to this effect. He said, look, darling, I've got something much better for you. Let me wash that out. I've got for you something called a mini magnum. You know, a mini magnum, they're really great. I like the big ones. But anyway, um, The point is, this is what God does with us. You see, God says, if you will be willing, I've got something far better for you than what you're eating, than what you're living on. You know, are you willing to let him take the dirt out? Some people, they prefer to eat dirt. (laughs) They prefer what they know. They don't trust that God has something better. But you see, this is the truth. I want to just say this. God loves you as you are now. He loves you. 
He takes you where you are. You don't have to be a vicar. You don't have to be a Bible student. You don't, God takes you as you He loves you as you are now. But he refuses to leave you as you are. He loves you as you are. He'll love you. He'll put his arms right around you this morning. But he refuses to leave you as you are because he is so faithful. He will confront that which is wrong in our lives because he wants something better for us. Now, it's not ice cream. He wants to make us like Jesus Christ. That is God's ice cream, to make us like Christ. He wants to transform us into the image of his son. He wants to give us a completely new life and make us like Christ, Christ-likeness. And God has a hope in his heart that you and I will become like Jesus. As well as know him and love him, he has a hope in his heart that you will become like Jesus. It's called in the Bible the hope of his calling in Ephesians chapter 1. The hope of his calling. And it's a hope that is not, oh, I, you know, it's not, it's not a wishy-washy, like, oh, I hope they become like Jesus one day. You know what they're like. I mean, that's Simon. He's a terrible, you know, terrible uh, wimp and sinner, you know. I hope he becomes like, it's not that kind of hope. It's a hope that is, if you will go with God, it is, it is absolutely going to happen. You, I'm, I'm not lying to you, you can be like Jesus Christ. I'm not saying tomorrow. <laughs> but through this life, you can become Christ-like. You can have a totally different change, a totally different life. And when you get to glory in heaven, you will be as Christ. Now, you might say, well, how do I know God will do that? Well, let me read this to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. I love this passage. Oh, 23, sorry. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says this. Now may the God of peace, who Steve mentioned actually this morning in prayer, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means work thoroughly in you. <laughs> Set you apart. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. He who calls you is faithful and also he will do it. Do you believe this morning you've got a real hope to become Christ-like? Some people think I've got to always have this weakness. I've got to always have this flaw. It's going to be with me till the grave. Well, I'm sorry, that is not the case. I'm glad, it, I'm not, I'm glad it's not the case. God can totally change a man or a woman. Maybe not all overnight, but it's a hope that is steadfast and as sure as eggs is eggs. <clears throat> and the big reason is because of this. The cross. The cross is God's way of liquidating, <laughs> destroying that which is not in his image. If you just will be willing with the Lord, he will get rid of stuff in your life, one thing at a time. He will deal with stuff. You see, the cross is not just a decoration in a church. It is not just something I wear, or well, I don't actually wear one, but you know, people wear. It is God's, um, what's the word? Killing zone. <laughs> it's God's killing zone. You come to the cross and things that are tormenting you, things that are binding you, can be killed off 
at the cross. All your old, maybe curses from your family. Things you inherited from ancestors even. Things that flow down that you have no power over. Things that were done to you as a child. They can be killed at the cross. This is God's killing zone. And you can go through the cross and become a new, a new person. You can become different. And uh, I just feel a ref- a, we need to remember the hope of his calling. So if there's anything in your life that is getting in the way, you can come to Jesus at the cross. And he has promised that he is faithful and he will do it. I'm going to just give you a quick picture of the most dis, um, depraved, most destroyed, most messed up man pretty much in all of history, found in Mark chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, it would be good if you uh, turn to that. Mark chapter 5, this is probably the worst case person you will ever meet. There is no one in this room as bad as this guy. <clears throat> he was a man called, uh, well, we don't know his name. His name's not written. But he had a nickname, Legion. And Legion means thousands of devils. Thousands. They think 2,000. I mean, I don't know how many, how that happened to him. But let's just read it because I, I, what I'm trying to say to you this morning is if God, if Jesus, the God of hope, can change this man, then there's no one he can't change. Because the God of hope that day landed on the shore of that place and delivered this man who is the worst case scenario chapter 5 it says this I'll just read 15 verses they came to the other side of the sea that's Jesus and his disciples to the country of the Gadarenes when Jesus had come out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit he had his dwelling among the memorial tombs and no one could bind him not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces neither could anyone tame him and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones when he saw Jesus from afar he ran and worshipped him And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. You see, it wasn't him speaking, it was the devils. The devils were speaking through him. What are you doing here? It wasn't the man. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And Jesus is talking to the devils here. And he answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the man begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. The unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 The herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. 
And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. See, he was totally delivered. He was totally delivered. I just want to bring out a few things from this story. There's symbolism in this story. There's symbolism. It talks about an unclean spirit. Some people struggle with unclean thoughts. I mean, we all get tempted, don't we? But some people really struggle with uncleanness and unclean thoughts. Jesus set this man free. We also read he lived among the tombs. Now, the original language is the memorial tombs. They were places for memories. And some people live in the place of memories. You know, time does not heal the past. Only God's love and forgiveness heals the past. Some people, they can't stop thinking about what happened to them. They live in the memories of past sins done to them or past sins that they have done or hurts they have caused or hurts that they have received or shame or guilt. They live among the memories. And I'm not saying it's easy to get free, but I am saying this, Jesus set this man free and he actually did it straight away. <laughs> I know there are times when God does a process, but you can't deny the Bible. The Bible says the man got set free like this. Click of the feet. Jesus got power, you know. There's hope for you if you want it. You see the difference here, this man, he wanted it. See, he ran to Jesus to worship him. The devils were screaming at him, saying, keep away from that man. What? Don't go near him. He ran to Jesus because he wanted it. Your will is not bound. Your will is free. The demons will screw you up, but your will is free. If you want to be free, if you want to be different, Jesus has got all power, absolutely. So this man, he lived in memories. It's a symbol anyway. I mean, he lived in actual tombs. Some people think he shared a, he shared a tomb with a corpse. Other things about this story, briefly. He'd broken many chains. He had superhuman strength. And some people have broken many things that God would have placed. You know, I'm not like chains, but moral boundaries. They've broken them. They've broken God's moral laws. But this man, he was set free. He had invisible chains, though, didn't he? I mean, many, do you know, there are many people that have invisible chains. Um, they're, 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 and they're not actually in prison. <laughs> They've got invisible chains. But Jesus can break the chains. I remember Tim Cross. Some of you know Tim Cross from Eltham. He once had a prophecy in the church, in the church in Eltham, and he said, I can see someone wearing paper chains. You know paper chains at parties? Like the paper chains? And he says, I can see them being broken. Now, that's the power of Jesus to break chains. They're like, um, they're like paper chains, really, for God. If you want to be free, you can be. Oh, this man, he was so messed up. He um, cut himself with stones. He was the ultimate self-harmer. He thought he was dirt. He thought he was rubbish. He thought he was worthless. He hated his life. In fact, he probably was suicidal in many ways. But God kept him. 
But you see, he hated himself. He cut himself with stones. He said, I'm just dirt. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm rubbish. I'm filth. I'm going to hurt myself. But Jesus cared for him. Jesus heard about him. Jesus could hear his cry from the other side of the sea. In chapter 4, verse 35, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, let us cross over the lake to the other side. And he did that because he had heard the cry of the man who wanted to be free. <laughs> I mean, I hope this encourages you. Um, I've struggled with things in my life, even as a Christian, and it wasn't until I cried to God and said, I really want to be free of this, and I cried out that something snapped. I cried out to God. That This man cried out. No one heard him except Jesus. But if you're crying out, Jesus will hear you. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's the God of hope. Do you want the God of hope to come into your life? Transform things, get rid of rubbish, get rid of the dirt out of your mouth and give you the ice cream? <laughs> give you himself. He will. And uh, there's much more in this story. The pigs can represent... The thing about a pig is it doesn't discern what is right or wrong and some people get so into sin they, they become dull to what's right and wrong. See, a pig, a pig can eat its own poo. Did you know that? I read that in a book. A pig can eat its own poo. It doesn't discern what is nice food and what is bad food. And some people, they get so dulled by sin they can, they can murder, they can do this, they can have sexual immorality and it's just it's all the same. I mean, people like Hitler, for instance, you know, he, he, conscience died. But no one can be as worse as this man. And the other thing, the pigs committed suicide. <laughs> the devil would love to kill us. He'd love to kill you. Don't listen. Don't listen to those voices. Jesus would save you. Jesus loves you. He loves you as you are. But he won't leave you as you are. He wants to get the dirt out of your mouth. He wants to give you the ice cream. He wants to transform you. And this man, I mean, this man became a preacher. He went around preaching in ten cities after this. <sighs> so there's the first area of hope. God gives hope for those who want to change. If you say, oh, no, thanks, I don't trust this, or you're stubborn, or God will wait. God will wait. God will wait. But if that girl had said, no, mummy, I don't want the ice cream, who would have lost out? The girl. Does the mummy love the girl even less because she's got dirt in her mouth? No, she loves her. But she's got something better for her. Amen? Let's go on to the second area. God has, he's the God of hope for those who are under trial. And I only want to say a couple of things about the life of the Apostle Paul now. Because you sometimes go through trials and you, you feel trapped. I don't know if you ever had that. You feel imprisoned, you feel maybe restricted, limited, you feel, why has that happened? But God really blessed me with this. When Paul was put in prison, you know Paul, the apostle, he was a great driven man. He wanted to go preaching and planting churches. He wanted to be out there. He was a very driven man. And probably the last thing he wanted was to end up under house arrest. But he didn't moan, he didn't groan, he didn't get cross with God and say, why has this happened to me? I want to go preaching. God 
put him under house arrest. But do you know what? If God had not done that, do you know what? We wouldn't have half the Bible now. Millions of people have been blessed through his trial. And I want to absolutely say this. God, as the God of hope, will bring blessing out of your trial to others. You may not see it. Paul couldn't see it at the time. You know, when he first got arrested, I'm sure he didn't think, ah, the Lord's done this so that I can write the Bible. No. You probably can't see what's going on sometimes. Another thing happened about this house arrest business, and I found this interesting. I heard someone talk about this, so I thought I'd pass it on. Is when you got arrested by the Romans, you had two choices. You could either go in a prison where it was all smelly and dark, or if you had money, you could go to house arrest, where they would chain you up to some elite Roman guards. Now, Paul had money, not because he was rich, but because the church paid for it. The church paid for Paul to be chained up at home so he didn't have to go into the smelly old dungeon. So there he was, chained up to these elite palace guards. They were from Caesar's palace, these guys. The Praetorian Guard, apparently. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have people to stay in my house, you're all, <laughs> I was saying, in front of my wife, you're all welcome, by the way. Just don't tell Karina. Um, but the thing is, <laughs> do, do, do you find if someone's been in your house quite a long time, you're kind of glad when they're gone? I don't know if you ever get that. You, sort of, you love them. Oh, it's so great having my parents. so great having you know, a missionary come to stay. But you know, when they're gone, you think, oh, I've got a bit of space. Well, poor old Paul was chained up night and day, 24-7, even asleep, to these two guys. One there, one there, or at least one. And so these Praetorian guard from the palace would have seen everything Paul did. They would have seen him pray. Oh, he's praying again. Here I am, chained up to him, he's praying again. Reading his, well, he wasn't reading his Bible, was he? He hadn't written it yet, but parts of it, parts of the Old Testament. He would see people coming into the house and see Paul preaching. He would hear the preaching. Because it, when you were under house arrest, your friends were allowed to come and see you. And did you know that a lot of these guards came to the Lord by being chained up to Paul? And sometimes we have people in our lives that can really wind us up. We feel chained up to them a bit. <laughs> but you know, God, God might be doing things you're not aware of because Paul didn't see particularly that at the beginning. Although, of course, he saw some of them get converted. But this is the amazing truth. And it's not um, in the Bible, but studies have been done. These guards were not there permanently. It wasn't the same bloke like Mr. I don't know, the guard called Mr. John. Mr. John wasn't the same guard with Paul all the time. They would swap and change. There'd be a rotor. So every week you change for a different guard. The, and the guards would go back to the palace. And some of these guards would go back to the palace and the gospel got into the palace of Caesar. And this is even better. <laughs> these guards, they only had a short career. Mm, echoing. A bit like, if you work for TfL, you can retire at 50. Oh, I'm joking. <laughs> Some jobs, you know, you can retire early. I think if you're a fighter pilot, for instance, if you're a fighter pilot at the age of 35, 40, you know, you're, you, you retire because you're not trusted anymore to fly a combat jet. Well, these uh, palace guards, they would retire early. And do you know what they gave to these palace guards? Because they were palace guards working for Caesar, they gave them key positions in the Roman Empire. 
They gave them a villa and a land. They, made, they said to them, you can be the mayor of that town. You can be the mayor of that town. You can be the key citizen of that town. And these guards who'd become saved Christians by being chained to Paul got sent out to places in the Roman Empire and there churches were planted. Christianity spread through the, the dudes that had been chained up to Paul. Now, did Paul see that? God is faithful in the behind-the-scenes stuff, in the unseen. He couldn't see what God was doing, but God is the God of hope in your trial. I'll just give you one last one. We must get on to the last point. <clears throat> there was a time when Paul got beaten up with rods, you know, big sticks. And apparently, if you were beaten with rods, you could die. But he didn't. And then he got put in prison in a place called Philippi. When they were going to release him, they discovered that Paul was actually a Roman. And you're not allowed to beat a Roman unless he's had a proper trial. So there he was, all beaten up in prison. The magistrates come along and say, come on, get out. And he says, you realise I'm a Roman? And they're like, we shouldn't have done that. And he makes them come and fetch him out of the prison. Now, it's not in the Bible, but people have studied that what happened was this. Those magistrates were so scared. You weren't allowed to beat a Roman unless you had a trial, because you could be killed. So they came to him and begged him to come out of the prison and say, we're really sorry we beat you up. You know, tough luck, hey? Really sorry we beat you up. Nearly killed you. But, you know, please go. And he said, Paul struck a deal with them. Paul said, I'll go if you promise you won't persecute the church in Philippi anymore. Otherwise, I'll report you. And so... These magistrates, they stopped all persecution in that city. And historically, if you look at the historical records, there was no persecution ever more in Philippi after Paul had been beaten up. It flourished. It flourished for sending out missionaries and the gospel. And all I'm trying to really say to you, in a rather roundabout way, is this. God is faithful under trial and he's the God of hope. Right, third point, last point. God is the God of hope for those who seek him. Now, I just got to, um, I want you to just turn to the scripture in Jeremiah. Because you know sometimes, I don't know if you've ever got down to try and seek the Lord and you kind of give up and fall asleep. I mean, it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> Happens to me a lot. You try and pray and seek the Lord and you sort of fall asleep. Well, there is a promise though where it says this. Uh, verse 11 of Jeremiah 29. He says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. God is faithful to those who seek him. It says in scripture, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, it doesn't matter if you fall asleep, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work, keep at it. God will reward those who diligently 
seek him. It's like what Mark said, be generous with God, give him your time. And I just want to share this. God's been restoring up in me, Simon, a desire to go and seek his face. I'm not talking about quiet times. We all have a quiet time. You know, you read your Bible for 30 minutes, you pray a little few prayers, and read the your devotional, and then you go off to work. I'm not talking about that. That's fantastic. You've got to do that. I, and I'm not trying to burden anyone. What I'm trying to say is I believe that God's, one of God's hopes is that you will find what's called, sorry for use this word, a trysting place. A trysting place is an old-fashioned word. It means a place where lovers meet, a rendezvous. You know, a trysting place would be, like when I went out with Karina many decades ago, we had a spot where we met up. We weren't lovers, as in, you know, physical, but we were in love. <laughs> we had a rendezvous, a secret place where lovers meet, and it was called Otford. <laughs> Great place. We, well, a secret, people in my company didn't know. We would meet in Otford Car Park, and then we would go for a walk. Is that right, dear? <laughs> She's gone bright red. But I just... I believe God, God's got more for us. Yes, we're to do our quiet times, but have you got a lover's rendezvous place with God? Do you ever just go away and... Has he stirred your heart to seek him? Because you can't manufacture it. If you, don't, if you don't want it, you know, you can't. But you can ask God to stir your heart, to find that, what I call the trysting place. It's a place where lovers meet. I mean, I'll tell you what mine is. Um, it's the office where I work on a Saturday. I mean, often I go there for a sermon, but sometimes I just get there before the Lord. It's, it's extra. It's, 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 it's not just your quiet time. And Maybe this is just for me, but I believe God's been stirring my heart to seek his face. And in that, he say, there's hope, you see. God can start things. He can pour out on you. He can... Um, Start fresh things in the church, fresh things in, in other lives. Um, I encourage you, if it's in your heart, to find a lover's rendezvous with God, <laughs> a place to uh, seek his face. It says in Psalm 27, um, verse 8, it says, To you, O my heart, God has said, or he has said, seek my face. And my heart responded to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And the word face, just to let you know, in the Hebrew means presence. Seek the presence of God. Even if you feel it's a complete waste of time, I encourage you, there's God, there's hope for people that do that. I mean, let me give you an example. There's a man called David Wilkerson who set up Teen Challenge. You've heard of that. It all began when he just got alone with God. He used to go off into the woods and seek the face of God. And it was only after a few months of just being with God that the whole Teen Challenge ministry took off. And he always said this. He said, I dread to think what would have happened if I hadn't bothered. <laughs> um, 
things can... I just want to encourage you that out of your time alone with God, hope and things can come forth. The biggest challenge will be Satan. He will decide to try and make you as busy as possible. You'll be amazed the phone calls you get when you decide to seek God. I had a friend who did this once, and uh, the phone would go every time she started to pray. So she unplugged the phone. Uh, the other thing that will challenge you is Facebook and your mobile. I mean, I've gone to prayer sometimes, and I've gone on Facebook, and oh, that's interesting, and I've gone on to YouTube, and oh, do I have to pray? And, uh, you know, sometimes you need to fast from your technology. But I just want to encourage you that out of that, this is what I call the old ways of God. See, I, I'm quite a busy person. I run around and I can do you know, healing on the streets and do this and do that. But really, I've been learning that the only thing that really lasts and will make any real lasting change is for those who seek the face of God. He will pour out. There's hope for those who do that. And um, I want to finish by a verse from the book of Job, which is a bit taken out of context, I admit, but God spoke it to me. It's in chapter uh, 14, book of Job, uh, verse 7. <clears throat> As I say, it's a little bit out of context, but it says this. <clears throat> for there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its root may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground. Yet, at the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. There is hope for those who wait on the Lord that at the scent of water, the scent of his presence, things will flourish and bud and grow but you won't find it if you're rushing around. Scripture says, hope in the Lord, wait on the Lord. I'm not trying to burden you to go away and spend hours in prayer. No, 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 no. I'm just asking you to consider, do you have a lover's rendezvous with God? A place you go, it could be in your car. I mean, my kids, they drive me bonkers in the morning. I sometimes have to go and sit in the car. God loves you, but... There's hope for people that do this. There's hope that the tree will grow again. Okay, I want to um, finish by singing a song. Uh, it's called, There It Must Be More Than This.